Today's scripture is Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 9. Sorry, 1 through 7. The righteous reign of the coming king. But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied exaltation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As, the, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Great will be his authority, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time onward and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Here ends the reading of the word. Amen. Sorry, how's that? We welcome you today to Weston Park Baptist Church on a busy day, busy day of gathering food for our folk in our community. I don't know if you've been reading the newspapers, but uh, obviously inflation has driven up the cost of food big time. I think lettuce was going for 15 bucks a bag. Did I read that somewhere? You can imagine $15 for a bag of lettuce, huh? So lots of people in, uh, in need, and this day is a chance to collectively... Um, do something that makes a tangible difference. So we go around, collect bags, as Darlene was saying, and get that food to our food bank. And a lot of people really appreciate it and they're helped. So if you're good for you for coming, and if you're able to participate today in that, wonderful. And whatever way you're, you can be engaged. So thanks for participating. And at the same time, we come to the beginning of Advent. So Advent is four Sundays that run up to Christmas Day. So the four Sundays that precede Christmas. I started teaching a worship course this week. It's interesting, 11 students in the course. And only a couple of churches represented in that 11 um, engage in what we call the liturgical calendar or the church year. So a lot of our churches still 
really are committed to the secular calendar period, uh, meaning, you know, we, we're aware of Christmas Day, New Year's, Valentine's, you run on Mother's Day, Father's Day. I mean, that, that kind of calendar is what we typically are aware of. Nothing wrong with that. But the church year is also celebrated, and, and the purpose of the church year is to just be mindful of the work of God in Christ in very specific theological themes. So Advent is emphasizing the incarnation of Christ. So it emphasizes that God loves us so much that he takes on flesh to, to speak to us and ultimately to save us. That one life is not enough. He wants us to live with him forever. And to make that happen, he sends his son. So the incarnation theme is what's behind um, what we call the season of Advent. So it may be part of, if you're visiting with us, you know, part of your church tradition or not, right? It's just a way to kind of help us think through what, what's happening uh, in, a, in an intentional way. So Advent. And you notice when uh, the scripture was read, for unto us a child is born. I mean, so much of the good things in life come from a child is born. A little baby is born. A little baby is born and things change. Families change when a little baby is born. You know, whatever the circumstances. Sometimes there are happy circumstances and everybody is really joyous, you know. Sometimes circumstances are challenging and there's mixed feelings. But ultimately, the child brings joy. That's been my experience. No matter what the circumstances. Circumstances can be crazy difficult. You couldn't get more crazy difficult than Jesus' birth, right? I mean, within, within days, they're on the run, right? All the way to Egypt because Herod's forces are out to kill the child. I mean, you can't get crazier than that. But nevertheless, for Mary and Joseph, the birth of Jesus was a joy. Two years as refugees in another country, finally returned to Israel, have to settle in a little town named Nazareth because it's so far out of the way, nobody would ever look for them there. Nazareth not even mentioned in the Old Testament. So the birth of a baby. So Isaiah talks about it, and then we talk about it in Advent. So if you have a little baby running around your house, enjoy. It's a great thing. It was down in Bolivia, as you know, and, and Yvonne's family has a, a new little baby, Juan. Juan. Juan was the name of Yvonne's father. I knew him quite, quite well, and he passed away a few years ago. And now they have a little baby, and they call him Juanito. If you put on the Ito at the end, it's a diminutive. Juan. Juanito. And Juanito was amazing. Everybody loves Juanito. At the church, he runs around. They don't have a whole lot of babies at their church, a lot of young people, but not so many babies yet. So Juanito runs around, and they're all super happy about Juanito. 
We have some babies coming to us soon. Praise the Lord for that. That'll be joy. Joy is for us all. So the beauty of a child, and that's, that's sort of what the theme is as we begin. Let's see if I can get this right. Cheryl put a dot on this thing so I could know which way to go. Thank you, Cheryl. Put a bit of whatever Velcro on the top so I know what's top, you know what I mean? She says, I really got to work this for Alan, otherwise he'll totally screw up, right? So I think I've got it. Here we go. We start with this. The Lord is coming, always coming. Be alert to his coming. When you have ears to hear and eyes to see, you will recognize him at any moment of your life. Life is Advent. Life is recognizing the coming of the Lord. So Christ is always coming to us. He's always coming. And we celebrate it in a special way in Advent because he, you know, he came to us in the beginning, John 1.14, this child was born. The wisdom and power of God. But Christ continues to come to us. Christ comes to us continually. And he will come and he will show up to us in this season of Advent if we have eyes to see, ears to hear. He'll come to us in this day. This food drive. For sure. He comes to us in the midst. Where two or three people are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst. So the Lord is coming. He's always coming. And he comes in Advent. So we need to be aware and to be attentive to that reality. So we look at our text. We're going to look at the, the whole piece, not in great detail, but just to kind of frame it, because it's a poem, really. Isaiah 9, 1 to 7. And then towards the end, we have these divine names that we're looking at, particularly as we have on the backdrop behind us. But this verse sets up the context, okay? But there will be no gloom for those who are in anguish. This is written by the prophet Isaiah. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. So why, why is that important as we begin? This is written some eight centuries before Christ. The time of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire is an expansionist civilization. And they want to gobble up all the other nations that have interest. And Israel was one of those. Why? Because Israel was right on the, right on the Mediterranean Sea. It was, it was fertile ground. And the Silk Highway from, from the east comes all the way up through Turkey, through Greece, and right up the coast of Israel, beyond into Europe. So the coastline of the Mediterranean was sought after, and the Assyrians sought after it too. And they began by claiming the territories of the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom included what we know today as Galilee. So Galilee, where Jesus spent his life mostly, was swallowed up by the Assyrians. The Assyrians took that land, okay? 
They sent in their peoples. They had a mixed population ultimately. And it's interesting, actually, in Jesus' day, it was the mixed population that were most responsive to him. The people in Galilee were this mixed people. And they were responsive to Christ. The, quote, pure people of Judah had a much harder time with Jesus. So when it says here, but in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. That's what Jeremiah is talking about. He's saying right now, Assyria, you're going you're to be, I mean, sort of Galilee, you're going to be possessed by the Assyrians. But there will be a day. And God will do this amazing new work in that area, Galilee of the Gentiles. So Isaiah sees this some 800 years before. And then when Jesus comes, we're going to look at that later in Matthew 4. Where does he go? He comes right here. That's where he goes. Interesting. So that's the historical context, all right? Former times gloom. Interesting here, if you look at your Bibles, if you have it, in chapter 8, at the very end, verse 22, it says, The gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. That's the Assyrians running over Galilee. The gloom of anguish. And then when we move through our text, note how it begins. But there will be no gloom for those who are in anguish. You see what I mean? There's going to be lots of gloom, but there will be a day when there will be no gloom. If we were citizens in the Ukraine right now, there would be lots of gloom. But possibly, probably, my prayers is that there will be a day when there will be no gloom. We had a young woman in our house yesterday doing a health service, and she's from Moldova. And Moldova is this little slice of ground between the Ukraine and Romania. Moldova. Two and a half million people, not very many people. Right in the middle of that whole scene over there. And it was interesting talking to her. Her memory, she came to Canada when she was about 20, so she grew up in Moldova. how they were involved in school, small area. Interesting, the school children would go once a week to the home of some elderly person and help clean their house and tidy all around their garden and so on. They did that every week. There was a new, new people they would go to. That was all part of the, the life of that little community in Moldova, just in a little town she grew up in. That was her life. And now that life is in the midst of chaos over there. And her, her, her language is pretty good, and the, and the word she kept using was, it, it was different. It was different then. Now it's different. When she came to Canada, it was different then. Now it's different. So that, that was kind of her caption, just to describe a world that is changing, somewhat in chaos. It's different. Hmm. Gloom and no gloom. That's where we begin. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest and as people exalt when dividing plunder. Two images there. Rejoice as in harvest and in plunder, the booty of war. So the poem divides into three bits. We won't sit long with it, but it begins with newness. There will be a new day, Isaiah says. It's not looking very good right now in Israel, he says, but there will be a new day, and it will turn from darkness to light, and there will indeed be great joy. I was talking to Natalie on, when was that? I don't know, was that yesterday? Friday? And she was asking me, okay, Dad, what do you, what's the difference between joy and happiness? Are they just the same as joy, happiness, happiness, joy? Or is there some sort of difference? Go back to that verse. You have increased its joy. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. You have increased its happiness. Some ways it's the same, but another way, joy is the great joy is Jesus' birth. The great joy, the ecstasy of joy, beyond just happiness. God's work in your life and my life that creates this oh wow experience, celebration, that is joy. The joy of a new baby being born, that's more than happiness, joy. Do you think? Is there a difference between happiness and joy? Yeah? Okay, good, thanks. <laughs> there are similarities, right? Sure. We want a happy life. Everybody wants a happy life. Everybody, 8 billion people on planet Earth now, and everybody wants to be happy. That makes sense. Why not? But God is working in our lives to even go deeper than happiness to give us joy. Real joy. So the poem begins with newness. There will be a new day, Isaiah says. So, number one. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire, the second piece in this poem is that of victory. The yoke and the bar are broken. And the example that is given there in verse 4 is the day of Midian. So Midian comes from Judges chapter 6 to 8. Midian was one of the enemies of Israel. And God is going to teach the Midianites and Israel a lesson, we're told. And so God, through a prophet, says, call Midian. I mean, sorry, call Gideon. Gideon was a nobody, just the guy. And God says, I've chosen you. You are a mighty warrior. Gideon says, I think you got the wrong guy. I'm not, I'm not him. Believe me, I'm not a mighty warrior. God says, you are a mighty warrior. I want you to call your clan. And we're going to rise up and we're going to fight the Midianites, who were a huge army. 
So Gideon puts out the call, and, and sure enough, people actually respond. It's like calling, we're going to do a food drive today. And people call and respond. Okay, great. And then God says, you know what? You've got too big of an army. Because if you win the battle, people are going to say it's because how great your army was. So I want you to cut back. Cut way back. So he cuts back the army, the thousands that he has, finally to 300. 300 people. I want this 300 to go and fight the Midianites. <laughs> Gideon's getting a little worried at this point, right? So he starts putting out tests to God. If this is really you, then, you know, I'll put out a fleece. The fleece will be wet in the ground. We'll round it won't be. Next time it'll be reversed. He's testing God. God is patient with him and goes along with it. So finally he fights the war with 300. And the Midianites are totally in chaos and they are defeated. That's the story here. That's the reference to Midian. So Isaiah picks up that because that was a long time ago. And he says, this one will do an amazing thing and there will be victory. There will be victory. Ukraine looks like it might just be able to pull out a victory. Who would have thought? Everybody thought the Russians would just roll right in there, right? Doesn't seem to be the way it's going. So it's a newness and there is victory. And then I'll move over that. And here we come to the third part, the royal agent, all right? And then we'll apply a few things. For a child has been born for us, son given to us, new baby. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time onwards and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The royal agent. He will establish and uphold justice and righteousness. It's interesting in the Spanish language, there's one word, justicia. And justicia means justice, and justicia means righteousness. They have one word to show both. Justicia is justice for all. But you cannot have asthesia for all unless you have righteousness for all. In English, we separate the terms. Justicia is justice, but righteousness is something different. That's piety that, you know, you have in your own little prayer corner in your church, not in Spanish. Justice and righteousness go together, and that's very much more the biblical idea. There will be justice, but there's only justice when there's righteousness. If you don't have righteousness, then you don't have justice. So your leaders have to be both. So Isaiah says. Presidents in the, of the world need to be both. Justice and righteousness is a Bolivian statement that says, Bolivia is so beautiful, but the politicians are so bad. It's a long-standing statement. Beautiful country, bad politicians. Why? Because the bad politicians don't live in righteousness, don't bring about justice. 
So we have four names. Wonderful Counselor. He is a wonder, and he is a counselor. He's wonder. Jesus is a wonder. And Jesus is also wise. He is the wonderful counselor. So for wisdom for you and for myself, we need to go to Jesus. He is the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. God is El. El, all-powerful. All-powerful God. That's When El is used, that's what they're going after. Jesus is that mighty God, the Gospels tell us. Thirdly, everlasting Father. Meaning there, trust and confidence. Now, our earthly fathers are not always that. But God is one who brings us out of chaos, brings us out of anxiety, and gives us a sense of trust and peace. The everlasting Father. That's the idea behind that. God is the one we can really trust and depend on. Regardless, your earthly father, good or bad, God is our everlasting Father, the text says. Mother, one we can trust, have confidence in. And finally, Prince of Peace. Shalom. This one brings shalom. This one brings justice. This one brings righteousness. No limit to his kingdom, a kingdom of both justice and righteousness. Note this text from Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. You see the the play on these words. There can be no justice without righteousness. There's no righteousness without justice. We can sit in our prayer room all all we want. Jesus says, go into your prayer room, shut the door, and and pray to your Father in heaven. We can do that all day. But if we don't express it in righteousness for our world, then you can be sitting in your prayer room and just twiddling your thumbs. Because both have to go together. Justice and righteousness. And you know what? The world takes notice when we are both just and righteous. The world takes notice. The church today, we need to show our relevance, unfortunately. Nobody trusts the church anymore in our world. That may be an exaggeration, but by and large, we have to show our relevance. People walk by our church all the time. They don't really know what's going on in here. We have to show our relevance. There was a day when the churches didn't have to do that because the people understood church a little bit. (laughs) Not today. What's a Baptist church in the eyes of most people? They have no idea. Absolutely no idea. So then we have to show our relevance. So that's what this day, Food Drive, is partly about that. Show relevance. See what I mean? We move on. Who finally accomplishes all this? The zeal of the Lord of hosts. God is so committed to it that he says, who will bring all this about? The Lord of hosts. 
The Lord of hosts will bring about a new day for Galilee, not just a king, not just political rulers. God will do this. That's a good thing. God will do it. God brings about your salvation and my salvation. God does it. Okay, so if we go to Matthew 4, here we see the, the connections. Matthew chooses this very verse, and he presents Jesus in the middle of it. You know it. He left Nazareth, his Christ, and made his home in Capernaum by the lake, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned, it ends. From that time, Jesus began to repent, proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, has come near as Advent. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Close to us. Jesus present with us. The presence of God. So Matthew picks up this very passage and says it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the great light. So three points we keep in mind. Advent is about an encounter with Jesus the light. We saw the Lord is coming, always coming. Be alert to his coming. You have ears to hear, eyes to see, you will recognize him. Life is Advent, life is recognizing the coming of the Lord. An encounter. An encounter in your mess. An encounter in my mess. That series of lights that Natalie and Tamara showed at the beginning. That tangled mess. Does your life ever feel like a tangled mess? I think so. Where I was, I was unraveling cords up here this morning for a microphone. It was a tangled mess. It took me about five minutes to get one cord out. It was just all. My life at times feels like that, like a microphone cord shoved underneath the stage. Right? That's it, all tangled up. So our lives can feel like that, and, and, and Jesus comes to encounter us and encounter us in our mess, your mess, your life. Jesus isn't put off by it. Jesus isn't surprised by it. Jesus understands and comes to us in the middle of all that stuff. Your stuff, my stuff, an encounter. Jesus wants to encounter you, to encounter me to encounter the lamp of our church, the lamp of the churches next door down the street. Jesus comes to encounter us. That's the message of Advent. And the whole thing is gift. The whole thing is gift. God comes to us in gift. He doesn't have to do it. He comes to us as a gift. Why? Because he loves you. He accepts you. He wants to be in relationship with you. That's all gift, right? Friendship is gift. Jesus is our friend. You can't force someone to be your friend. Friendship is a gift. Your job is to receive that gift. 
Jesus wants to be a gift to you and to me. Giving. Why is giving so much a part of Advent? Jesus comes to give himself to us. He is the indescribable gift. And then we're called to pass that gift on to others. Will you do that? Will we do that? That's the invitation. And then finally, thirdly, it's, it's about empowerment. And here we have the names. Christ as our wonder. Christ as our wise counselor. He is both. He is a wonder and he is wise. And the end result of that is he empowers us. Paul picks up on that when he says this, but to those who are the called, that's called out ones, the, really the church, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God, which is the dynamite of God, and he is the wisdom of God, which is the Sophia of God. Christ is the power and the wisdom, the dynamite and the discernment. That is Jesus. So if we draw close to Jesus, he will give us the energy that is needed. He will give you the energy. He'll give you the energy to get through this busy month of December. He will, he will do that. He is dynamite. Ready to receive dynamite from Jesus. He's not some weak, tepid, person that you'll just forget. Jesus is dynamite. 2,000 years later after his death and still everybody's speaking about Jesus. Why is that? Jesus is dynamite. He really is. So you, can't, you don't want to be messing around with Jesus, all right? Any more than you'd be messing around with a hunk of dynamite. You better treat that with a bit of care. Who knows what will happen with a chunk of dynamite? And he is wise. Sophia. Wisdom. See, I mean, we've talked about it. Muyo likes to go on about it, and I think this is good. The, 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 you know, what's going on with our church with next door? I mean, pretty soon we'll be talking about more of that more and more and more. <laughs> a little church probably doesn't have the dynamite to pull that off and doesn't have the wisdom either. And all of a sudden, because of Jesus, some amazing things are going to definitely happen. Jesus is wisdom. Jesus is dynamite. Jesus is there for you and for me. So that is the message of Advent. Jesus wants to encounter you this season. He really does. Can we live not like this, but like that? Can we live with open hands to receive from Jesus. Receive what? Number two, the gift. The gratuitous gift. He just gives the gift. He wants you to come. He wants me to come. That's his desire for us. He's knocking at the door. We read that last week. Open up the door. He's knocking. Don't be distracted. Hear the knocking. Open the door. And then finally, what, what do we see? We see the power. The power of God in our lives. I think oftentimes we don't, we don't think, we don't believe that. We don't believe we have any power. So we need to be aware more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
to know that we have power. Father, Son, Spirit. If we were open more to the Spirit of God in our lives, day to day we would have more power. I really believe that. Father, Son, Spirit. Jesus says, wait, wait, man, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Spirit from on high because He will empower you. So may we hear, may we receive, may we be empowered by Jesus in this season of Advent. Be a light for Him. Be used for Him. His kingdom of justice and righteousness, we play our parts. In Christ's name we pray, amen.